Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, waiting, begging, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches. And after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more attainable target. Speaking openly about my experience of grief and helping others to do the same serve as a regular reminder that we are not alone. When we allow all the parts of us to have an expression of life, including the painful ones, we may just feel more human and less like robots on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you for joining this episode of the Healing Path Podcast. Today, I'm chatting about a post called Unconscionable Pain, and this was shared just today uh, on the 23rd of March in 2023. Last week, we looked at some differences between pain and suffering with the goal of trying to understand what, if anything, we can learn to do to reduce them both. As a quick recap, we noted that pain is the loss we feel when someone we love dies. And suffering is what we can develop as a result of what we believe about the loss itself. For purposes of that post, I resisted the urge to share formal definitions of the words pain and suffering from an authoritative source, and instead I relied on my own aggregate experience with pain and suffering over the last few decades as a reference point. This week, I'm returning to my love of words and an authoritative source to help me address a concept we haven't really touched on yet, unconscionable pain. Referring to the Cornell Law Library, the word unconscionable is defined as an adjective. It means without a conscience, unscrupulous, and so unfair or unjust that it shocks the conscience. As we open this discussion of unconscionable pain, I'm specifically talking about the kind of pain that results from actions that were performed without a conscience, unscrupulously, and so unfairly or unjustly that our conscience is shocked. When we're in deep grief, we might be tempted to ask the question, isn't all pain unconscionable? (laughs) For me, that would look something like, quote, two of my children died. And that's pretty unconscionable, unquote. But even though I'm committed to treating myself with the same compassion and love that I share with others who are hurting, in this case, I have to answer that question in the negative. So, no, although my pain has been profound and long-lasting, I don't qualify it as unconscionable. My daughter and my son had bone marrow disease. Their bodies never worked properly. Although this was no comfort to me in my early stages of grief, 
Years later, I can now see that there is a stark difference between losing someone to illness and, say, suicide or accident or murder. Please know that the goal of this post is not to compare experiences of pain and grief from loss. As I noted in a post a couple of years ago, no one wins a grief match, and there's a link to that in the post. The goal of the post is to highlight that in certain circumstances, the violent death of a loved one carries its own kind of pain, and therefore its own kind of suffering. If we believe or know that our loved one was in physical or mental distress that was inflicted onto their otherwise healthy and thriving body, we may carry an extra weight along our path to healing. We discussed that suffering results from the things we tell ourselves about a death. Specifically, if we're routinely told and or tell ourselves, this should not have happened. We can unnecessarily spend our energy being angry and frustrated instead of trying to learn and practice how to survive. It is natural for this feeling to arise in the early stages of grief. But as we learn to integrate our pain, we may find that time and space help us focus on how we can try to live a meaningful life without the person who died, instead of clinging to some idea that the universe is out to get us, that we are victims, and that we don't deserve whatever loss we've experienced. But I imagine suffering that results from unconscionable pain is a little bit different. For example, a high school friend of mine ended his life by suicide with a gunshot to the head. Yes, my heart broke when it happened, but I also found myself imagining what he experienced as he died alone in a pool of his own blood. I'm not obsessed with the macabre nature of this scene. It is just that it was hard to grieve his death without also holding on to that image. In this way, I found the pain to be unconscionable. A tragic situation that most of us can relate to as we explore this experience of unconscionable pain was seen in the events of 9-11. We helplessly witnessed our fellow humans jumping out of windows a hundred or more stories high to avoid fires and explosions. Personally, I couldn't help but think about their terror and desperation in making such a choice to jump. Since I didn't know any of those specific folks personally, the pain didn't evolve into a sense of suffering that I couldn't shake. But for those who were close to people who jumped to their deaths from burning buildings, they have more to contend with than, say, someone who died of terminal illness. This distinction is an important one, and it's being made here because we need to understand that if our loved one died in a violent way, it may be more complicated to avoid suffering than it is if they didn't. I realize this may sound offensive if your heart is broken from the death of a loved one. But if you think about it for a minute, as we try to navigate a healing path due to grief, we may find that effort further complicated by the details surrounding the death 
if there was violence involved. For example, losing someone who died in their sleep may result in a less complicated grief experience than if their loved one took their own life or jumped from a burning building. Notice I didn't say less painful, but less complicated possibly. Pain is pain, and there's no merit in comparing our hurtful experiences of despair. But I share this distinction to alert anyone who is in grief and also knew their loved one was in pain prior to their life ending, that you are not alone in revisiting the scene of that loss over and over again. It is natural for our brains to paint a picture of what happened if we weren't there, holding someone's hand as they drew their final breath, which is hard enough without a violent memory. But if the death was abrupt, an accident, a murder, or suicide, we may be stuck with these images that we cannot shake. The unconscionable nature of inflicted violence, whether from an auto accident or a gunshot, may leave us with images that we cannot reconcile. Just imagine, with all due respect, being the parent or sibling of George Floyd, may he rest in peace, and having the murder of your sibling or your child stream through every possible digital device, from phones to big screens, over and over and over again, everywhere you went. We cannot begin to imagine the impact that these images have on our ability to heal from the death itself. We cannot imagine how hard it would be to shake that specific visual nightmare. Should you find yourself in the category of being victim to the unconscionable pain resulting from the violent death of your loved one, I encourage you to be very generous with yourself as you try to survive. While suffering from the pain of loss can be made worse by getting stuck on the mechanism of a death, in this case, we cannot blame ourselves for thinking about the scene of loss again and again. Alternatively, we need to understand that this type of violence should naturally offend our sensibilities as human beings. If they don't, we have another problem. Let's protect our minds and hearts from violent images by using discretion about what we allow to penetrate our consciousness in the name of news or even entertainment. Our mind should be a sacred place that only allows specific entrance to visit. We are what we think about and certainly what we look at. If we lost a loved one to violence, we may not have that choice. But what we can have is compassion for ourselves and a commitment to try and let go of that memory so that we have actually a chance at living a life of quality, whatever that means to each of us individually. As a last thought, regardless of the cause of death that took your loved one from you, remember, your pain is real, it's not fabricated, and it's worthy of your attention and your curiosity. Taking comfort that others have walked the earth with similar losses is not a consolation prize, but it can help ease the isolation that arises when we think we are the only ones this has ever happened to. 
wishing each of us peace on this journey of trying to heal. We are not alone. So thanks again for checking out this episode of the Healing Path podcast. And I felt strongly that this needed to be addressed. I spent some time on the post that I shared last week about pain and suffering. And when I went back and listened and and read what I'd written, I felt that this was a very important component to healing and to grieving and to our pain, frankly. Um, I absolutely underscore the fact that we you know, comparing our pain or our loss, nobody wins a grief match. We're not, no one's trying to one-up anybody. Um, And I'm certainly, with all due respect, not trying to offend anyone by saying maybe your healing path is less complicated if there was some anticipation of the death or if someone died of, you know, their age or, you know, if you knew it was coming sort of thing. But there is certainly a difference, and unfortunately, I've experienced death with and without violence, Um, certainly some experiences that I have never shared publicly. But if there is violence involved, it just really does complicate things because we have a tendency, we already have a tendency to focus on that moment of death and the mechanism. But if there's violence involved, it's hard to get past that, frankly, because there's no peace involved. There's no, um, you know, feeling that maybe they were suffering physically and that they aren't suffering anymore. There's no relief. It's just, it's so caustic and offensive to our senses that we can really get stuck there. And I guess the reason I wanted to share this post today is because I felt it um, necessary to add this component to the conversation. Because as I talked about pain and suffering last week, and, you know, asked what the difference was and why we should care. um, I sort of I feel like I skipped over something that was actually really important and affects a lot of us actually. So thanks again for joining. I hope that this was valuable in some way. And if you are suffering any kind of loss, my heart goes out to you. We are not alone. And let's do our best going forward to stay present, to stay grateful, and to stay healing. And as always, I sincerely thank you for listening.